How we doing, family? Everybody good? 11 o'clock, ready to go? Yeah, and let's do it, man. Exodus chapter 13 is where we're at. If you're new with us, my name's Anson, I'm the lead pastor here, and we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, we, we are in a series through the book of Exodus, and if you're, if you're family, man, if you've been around here, you know this, uh, that, we, that we've been walking through uh, the book of Exodus now since September, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Uh, one of the reasons we uh, do that here is because... Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament that all scripture is God-breathed, all of it's useful, all of it matters. Every single verse in the Bible matters. And so we're, we're walking through this incredible Old Testament book verse by uh, verse. So uh, I, I do wanna say this as well. Uh, some of y'all were here last Sunday for Mother's Day and uh, you know, we, had, we had books here. Uh, we were getting out a book per family, uh, the, the disciple-making parent, and man, those things got taken. I mean, it was crazy. Like, I think we actually ran out in the 11 o'clock. And so if you were here last Sunday, you did not get a copy of that free book we want every family in this church to have. Uh, they're at the Welcome Center. When you leave, go by, pick one up. Hey, here's the deal. Maybe you weren't here last Sunday, but you're a family and you're like, I want a resource on what it means to point my child to Jesus. Get hooked up. It's our gift to you, one uh, per family. So that's at the Welcome Center, that little desk out there with the big blue E on it. Now, all that being said, Exodus 13, we're gonna pick it up in verse, uh, verse 17 here in a moment. Um, first, I wanna ask a question, okay? Uh, a little audience participation in here. How, how many of y'all, how many of you in here, you're, you're a part of a, of a missional community small group here at Emmaus Church that meets during the week? How many of you, show of hands, show of hands. How many of you are awesome, awesome? Okay, cool, cool. How many of you are in here and you are not a part of a missional community group, small group? Lift that hand up high and feel that shame and... I'm kidding, I'm playing, I'm playing. Okay, cool, um, you need to get in one. Here, here's, here's the thing, uh, my, my wife and I, like our family is, is part of a missional community group just like so many of y'all in here are and, and ours meets, uh, ours actually meets up here at the church on Wednesday nights because we have a 13 year old who uh, is in the student ministry so that's going on here on site and there's a few missional communities that meet here uh, while, our, while our kids are in the, in the student ministry and, and so a couple Wednesday nights ago, Ours meets on Wednesday nights. A couple Wednesday nights ago, uh, when the group ended, uh, you know, we all scattered to the four winds uh, like we typically do every single week after the, the small group's time is over. And, and we're driving home, and it's, it was sermon prep day, so I'd been up here all day long, so my wife had to drive separately. So I'm in my car heading home. She's in her car uh, behind me, following me home. But here's the problem, okay? The, the problem is uh, we live, just like so many of you in here, my wife and I, like our family, we, we live in North Gwinnett County, okay? And, and I don't know if you have noticed this or not, but like for the past six months, uh, North Gwinnett County has had the worst traffic in the history of mankind, right? It's, it's, it's horrible, it's, it's terrible. I, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain now there are actually, in Gwinnett County, there are more orange traffic barrels than there are people at this point. Uh, because it, it's everywhere, they're doing work, man. They're extra it's almost like somebody in the county office in a meeting said, hey, hey, I got a, I got a great idea. Since they're building 100 new neighborhoods in North Gwinnett County, let's close down the 12 main roads, right? What could possibly go wrong? And so, so, so it seems like, I don't know for you, man, but, but it seems like 
There's no good time to leave. There's no good time to go home. Anytime you're driving, anywhere you're going, like you better pack a lunch and bring some reading material because your life's going to be miserable. It's going to be bad. And, um, so sure enough, two Wednesday nights ago, group ends, we're heading home. Y'all, you know, we're, a mi- we're like a half mile away from our neighborhood. Traffic comes to a standstill, just stops. And we're waiting and waiting. It's nighttime, man. It's nothing but taillights. We're waiting. The traffic is just, it's not moving at all. You, you, ever, have, you ever have one of those days where you, you just, you're just not in the mood? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, this, this is the wrong time for me. Um, I like, like, that was me. I, I, was, I was seriously contemplating just leaving my car there. You know, I, like, I will get out and walk home, right? Um, I'm just sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. My wife's in her car behind me. And so finally, I got to the point, I'm just, I'm done. I'm just done. It's been a long time. I'm ready to get home. So I, uh, I'm, in my, I'm in my Accord, and not necessarily the best car in the world to do this, but I... I just pulled into somebody's yard, man. It was just like somebody's yard's there, and I just pulled into somebody's yard and turned around in their grass. Um, and if that was your yard, I apologize, but I, 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 I turned around in their grass, and I started heading the opposite direction. I'm browsing the highway. So my wife sees this, obviously in the car behind her, and she, and, and she calls me. She calls me up on the phone, on her cell phone, and she goes, Anson, where are you going? I said, I'm going to find a different way home. She said, sweetheart, there is no different way home. I said, oh, yeah, there is. I already got it in my mind. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down Brazelton Highway. I'm going to go down this road over here. I'm going to go to Spout Springs. I'm going to go all the way up to Brazelton. I'm going to go to downtown Brazelton. I'm going to get on that highway. I'm going to come all the way down to our neighborhood. She said, Anson, do you realize how long that's going to take you? Do you realize how much time that's going to take? I said, you know what? Maybe so, but at least my car will be moving. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all like that? Like, 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 I don't care. I will drive through Texas if I have to get home. But at least my car will be procrastinating down a road because, because it's the illusion of it all, right? Because, because my deal is this. Here's the thing about me, family. I don't like to wait on anything, man. I just, I don't have it in me. I don't, I just don't like, and especially don't like feeling like I'm being forced to wait, man. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait in the doctor's office. By the way, why did they make an appointment for you at 10? And you're sitting in the room till like 11, dressed in the paper. You know what I'm saying? Why do they do that? Like the appointment's at 10, man. I don't like, I don't like to wait at the doctor's office. I don't, I, don't like to wait at, I don't like to wait for food at the restaurant. Well, one of my least favorite is waiting on that ridiculous spinning wheel on your computer, right? It's like buffering buffering that's what it says right it's just spin it's like buffering right buff by the way buffer the word buffering is greek for the computer's laughing at you that's what that is right it's just like i i don't i don't like to wait for anything family i don't know about you but i have this crazy tendency to want what i want when i want it you know what i'm saying i don't like to wait because here's it let's face it man when i'm waiting when I'm waiting, I don't feel like I'm in control. And I'll be honest with you, family, I kind of like feeling like I'm in control. And, and when I'm waiting, I don't feel like I'm the center of the universe for like everything. And honestly, be, being honest with you, man, I kind of like feeling like I'm the center of the universe because that's what makes my flesh 
feel good. I don't like waiting. I just don't like waiting. Just the other day, we read our, um, our eight-year-old daughter's uh, ballet, ballet recital. Went to a ballet recital, and, and y'all, it's totally true story. We're, we're watching, I'm watching the, the ballet recital. An hour and a half in, our child has not been on the stage yet. Okay, I'm watching everybody else's kid dance. And my, my kid hadn't been out there yet. And, and I'm waiting for my kid. I'm waiting for the moment when my kid's going to be out there. And then at some point, music stops, lights come on, people get up out of the chairs walking around. I looked at my wife. I'm like, what's, what's going on? She said, oh, it's just the intermission. I said, I don't need an intermission. Let's get this thing over with. Let's do this. Let's watch the kid dance. Y'all sit down, Right? I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't know about you, family. I don't like that feeling that I have to wait. And the truth is this: like, if we're being honest, I think I think most of us, probably all of us, would have to admit that we all tend to struggle with impatience. I maybe it manifests itself in different ways in your life, but the reality is this, beloved: we we all tend to struggle with impatience. This is something that we all struggle with. In fact, family. If you think about it, like, like I don't have any scientific data necessarily to back this up, but I really believe that we are part of what is most likely the most impatient generation ever. I mean, think about even our culture. Okay, so think about, think about how our culture works and the evidences in our culture that we are an unbelievably impatient people here in America, in our context, here in the suburbs of Atlanta. Think, think about all the things in our culture that point to this. Think about it, man. We speed date, we eat fast food, we use the self-checkout line at grocery stores, we honk as soon as the light turns green. Anybody else guilty? As soon as it turns green, right? We try to get rich quick, we try the one weekend diet, we want 10 minute abs and 20 minute biceps, right? We work, at, some of us in here, we work in businesses that are totally obsessed with quarterly earning reports. Not even just annually, man, quarterly earning reports. We willingly pay extra for next day shipping. Anybody? That's all right. Like you can't handle, you can't handle the, the free stuff that's gonna take two or three days. You gotta have it next day. Y'all, we send new faces to Washington, Washington D.C. every two years and we vote those chumps out of office immediately. Right? We want, we want, our, news, we want our news updates in 140 characters or less, we send text messages so, we, so that we don't have to have long conversations with people. For crying out loud, y'all, we, we don't even speak in complete sentences anymore. Have you, has anybody else noticed this? Listen to the conversations happening around you. We don't even speak in complete sentences. Mom. <laughs> so my wife and I were at the movies the other night, and uh, we're sitting there, we're waiting for the movie to start, and there's the, these uh, a couple teenage gals sitting uh, over there near us, and at some point, uh, one of these teenage girls gets up, she looks at her friend, y'all, she looks at her friend, she goes, BRB, walks away. <laughs> I, I didn't even know that, man. I, I looked at my wife, I said, what, what, what did she say? Wife said, oh, she, she said BRB, that means be right back. I'm like, oh. I didn't realize that was so exhausting to say, right? You have to abbreviate it now, right? Shorten it up. Wear yourself out, right? It's great. We, we are an impatient people, our entire culture. 
lacks patience. I, there, there's this Time Magazine article here recently. I read this this week. It was so crazy. Time Magazine article said this, family. Throw it on up at the Jibotron so you can see this. This is nuts. Check this out. It says, the average attention span for the notoriously ill-focused goldfish is nine seconds. But according to a new study from Microsoft Corporation, people now generally lose concentration after eight seconds, highlighting the effect of an increasingly digitalized lifestyle on the brain. In other words, family, even a three-ounce fish has more focus than a lot of y'all in this room right now. This is crazy. But beloved, here's the point. Here's the point. We are an impatient people. Now, here's the problem with that. Ready? Here's the problem with that. The Bible is absolutely clear that our God is not an impatient God. Right? So we're an impatient people. We, we struggle with impatience all the time, and yet the Bible's clear, family, that our God is not at all an impatient God. In fact, family, additionally, the Bible is absolutely clear that, you know what, like it or not, our God is not very concerned at all with doing things according to our impatient timeline. Have you ever noticed this? Any of us figured this out yet? Scripture's clear that our God is, is just, that's just not who he is. And, and just so you know, beloved, this is exactly what brings us to the end of Exodus chapter 13. This thought of God's patience and our impatience is exactly what brings us to this text, beloved, because when we get to the end of, of Exodus chapter 13, God, for, for those of you who don't know, God, God has just miraculously delivered his people, the Israelites, from almost 400 years of slavery in the land of Egypt. And specifically, here's how he did it, man. We, we've seen all the way through the book of Exodus that, that first of all, uh, God comes to Moses and he instructs his boy Moses to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of the world at this moment, and to command him to let God's people go, to free these slaves that they might worship the Lord. But Pharaoh in his arrogance and in his pride totally refuses to listen to the wisdom of God because pride always causes us to shut our ears to whatever God has to say and so he doesn't do it. So then God instructs Moses that he is about to strike the land of Egypt and Pharaoh with 10 really horrible, painful plagues and he proceeds to do so. But then right before, immediately before the 10th plague that God brings upon the land of Egypt, God instructs Moses to tell all of God's people to sacrifice a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb, and take some of the blood of that lamb and smear it on the doorpost and the lintels of their homes because every home that is not covered by the blood of a spotless lamb will suffer the death of their firstborn, but every home that is covered by the blood of the lamb, death will pass over those people. And then God, we, we saw that God made good on his promises because God always makes good on his promises. And in the aftermath, get this, in the aftermath of the death of the firstborn in Egypt, Pharaoh finally gives in, he finally taps out, he finally cries uncle and he says, Moses, just take your people and get out now. He begs him to leave. And so here we are, okay, at the end of Exodus chapter 13 and picture this, we have Two million Egyptians, former slaves, 
who are now walking out of the land of Egypt in mass, having just been freed by God. Is what's happening, right? And then we read this, family. Look at verse 17, Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Time out for a second, family. I want to stop here. I want to pause here because I want to point out, um, just, you know, that right there, okay? That right there. What we just read is very weird. That's bizarre, man. And I think maybe like the only way for us to appreciate how weird that actually is is to, uh, is to look at a map, right? Many of us in here are visual learners anyway. And so we got, we got to kind of see this to really appreciate how strange that is. So, so we got this map we tracked down. This is, this is the, uh, pay attention to the red line, okay? Look at the red line. The, the red line is the route that the Lord Yahweh is going to take. He's going to lead his people on that route in order to eventually bring them into the promised land, the land that he has promised to uh, give to them. Now notice where it begins, okay? Notice at the top, towards the left, where that red line begins. It begins in the city of Ramses. We've already read about that. That's, that's where they were, right? So, 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 the, so the journey begins in the city of, of, of Ramses. Now, here's the thing. The Bible is absolutely clear that God's plan Right? God's, God's will, if you will, God's plan is to lead the people of Israel from where they were, Ramses, the land of Goshen area, to the promised land. That's just clearly what God's design is, what God's up to. He's already promised it verbatim, right? So, so the promised land, if you look up towards the top right of that map, it's near the Dead Sea. It's land of land of Canaan. It's, it's up in there, right? God has already promised that he's going to do that. Now, notice, notice what the map says. So you got Ramses. Notice if you, if you made a straight line, it says the way of the land of the Philistines. That's what we're talking about here. It's the way that God didn't lead them. God didn't lead them the way of the land of the Philistines, which just, you know, was also called the, the Via Maris, which means the way of the sea. And obviously it's called the way of the sea because right there next to the Mediterranean Sea, nice flat, nice flat land, nice view of the Mediterranean Sea. Now here's, here's what's crazy. How many of y'all ever learned that you know, the quickest way from point A to point B is, is a what? A straight line. I think we all learned this, right? We all, we all know this. So, so I want to get from Ramses to like, let's say uh, where Beersheba is or over there near the Dead Sea, like, like where, the, where the promised land's gonna be. If I want to get there, clearly, I go in a straight line. I mean, that's, that's obviously what I would do. In fact, not only is it a straight line, but interestingly, it would have been quicker. There are no rivers or seas that you would run into going that way. It's a, it's a very easy route. In fact, it's, it's flat. There's no mountain ranges to get through or to get over or to, or to walk around. I mean, I mean, it just totally makes sense. It's basically just a stroll through the desert with a really awesome view. In fact, family, the crazy thing is this. Bible scholars, even archaeologists for that matter, tell us that a journey from, from Ramses to the land of Canaan on foot would have taken these people 
two weeks. Two stinking weeks, family. Now, does anyone in here happen to know how long it is actually going to take these people to follow God and go his way to the promised land? Anybody know? Anybody know? 40 years. Could have taken two weeks, but instead it's going to take 40 years. So, beloved, the obvious question we now have to ask is, is God just really awful at, at, at following a map? I mean, is the Lord just really terrible at directions? Like, why doesn't God, why doesn't God do it the quick way? Why doesn't God do it the easy way? Why doesn't God do it the efficient way? Why doesn't God take these people on the fast track? Why, why is it that he doesn't do that? He's leading them. He's the one in front of them. He's the one paving the way. Why doesn't he lead them the obvious, straight line, easy way? Well, we begin to find out as we continue to read. See, see if you can spot it. Watch this. See if you can spot it. Verse 17 again, family. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and, and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, did you see it? Did you see it, beloved? Get this, y'all. Did, did you happen to see why the Lord specifically avoids the really convenient straight line that would have been the shortest way to get there. Did you happen to see it? Did you happen to see it? We saw it right here, clear as day in verse 17. Let me read it again, let me read it again. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of Philistines, although that was near, although that made the most sense, although that seemed like the obvious thing to do. For God said, lest the people change their minds, when they see war and return to Egypt. See problem, watch this family, watch this. Uh, the, the problem, the problem with the short, quick, flat, easy, obvious path was that it was actually guarded by huge garrisons of Egyptian armies miles down the road, miles away where the people couldn't see, where the people had no idea it was going on. There was actually a huge Egyptian army there, stationed there, garrisons on the border, just, just protecting the way, right? That's what was happening down there. In other words, family, watch this. In other words, so we have this huge army where the people can't see, so God, in his love, knowing this, 
patiently leads his people the long way. Don't miss this. Patiently leads his people the long way. In other words, beloved, what we're actually being told right here in these verses is this. God knows something that his people do not know. Right? God sees something that his people do not see. God understands something that his people do not understand. God is actually aware of something that his people are not aware of. And so, consequently, because God knows what his people do not know and have no way of knowing, what does the Lord do? The Lord leads his people in a direction that they themselves would have never chosen for themselves. And he does it as an act of love. But the people don't know this. People have no way of knowing, right? There's, there's, there's no news updates. There's no, there's no Twitter. There, there's, no, there's no way of knowing that down the road, the danger that awaits. There's no way of knowing this, right? But interestingly, interestingly, family, think about this. If these people would have known what God knows, they would have chosen the exact same thing. But they don't know what God knows. They don't see what God sees. They don't understand what God understands. So quite frankly, at this point, as they're heading south towards a big sea, a lot of these people are probably complaining. And a lot of these people are, are probably really, really confused and asking questions. Bro, why are we heading this way? Why are we, why are we going south? Why, why is this pillar of, why is the Lord leading us in this direction? And quite frankly, family, some of these people are probably convinced that God has no clue what he's doing. Well, I don't get it, Lord. I don't get why you're taking me this way. But the reality is this, family. The reality is it is out of love. It is out of love that God is taking his people the long way. And this actually leads us to the very first point, family. This brings us to the very first point of this sermon. And the very first point of this sermon as we look at this text is this right here, family. Number one, number one, listen. God's will is is what I would choose if I had all of the facts. God's will is what I would actually choose if I knew what God knows. God's will is what I myself would choose if I was aware of what God is aware of. If I saw down the line what God sees down the line, God's will is what I would actually choose if I had all the facts. Think about what's happening right here in this story, family. God sees what his people cannot see, which is, which is why he is going to do what his people don't understand. But he does it out of love. I, I wonder, by show, by show of hands, okay, by show of hands, how many of you, how many of y'all in here, being honest, being real, uh, would say that, um, how many of you would say that, that at some point in your life, God has uh, done something in your life or allowed something to happen in your life that you did not understand at all. Anybody? Yeah. 
And, it, and here's the thing. It's not even a matter of not understanding. Pretty much all of us in here, pretty much every single one of us in here know what it's like for the Lord to do something in our lives, allow something to happen in our lives that not only do we not understand it, we don't like it. It hurts, it's hard, it's painful, it's maybe even dark and, and, it, and we don't like it. God allows these things to happen. God, God sometimes does these things in our lives that we don't understand, we don't get it, we don't like. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a sickness. Maybe, maybe it was some sort, of, some sort of physical disorder, some sort of physical ailment, I don't know. Maybe it was a job loss. Maybe it was an adoption that fell through and just totally broke your heart, man, because you were there, you were there already. And it fell through. Maybe it was a rejection letter from that school that you desperately wanted to attend, you desperately wanted to go to. Maybe it was some sort of betrayal. <laughs> maybe it was a person that, that maybe it was a person that God allowed to be in your life that just drove you crazy. Right? Maybe some sort of financial crisis that you didn't see coming and you had no control over. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe you know what? Maybe it was maybe it was the death of a dream that you had for your life, man. You had this dream, you had, you had, you had everything in life, you knew, you knew what it was supposed to be and then, and then at some point, it just, it just died, it was over. I mean, here's the reality, fam. We, we could go on and on, and we could be up in here all day talking about this. I mean, the, the truth is, family, the truth is, most of us in here, if, if not all of us in here, probably, I think probably all, all of us in here know exactly what it's like for the Lord to, to allow something to happen in our lives that we just don't understand. We don't like it. But here's the thing, family. Let me ask you a question. Could it be that God knows what you don't know? Could it be that the Lord actually sees down the road what you cannot see? Could, could it be that God actually, in his infinite wisdom, understands what you don't yet understand? And so he has allowed what he has allowed, or he has even ended what he has ended as an act of his love for you because you were the object of his affection. And could it be that what he's actually asking of you right now is to trust him? See, here's the thing, if we're being really honest, here's the problem. So there's that, right? There's that, there's, there's all that. But the tension is this, man, we... Y'all, y'all, here's the thing. We live in a world that is all about instant gratification, right? And we live in a culture, man. It's, it's all about having it now, like, like instant gratification. We don't want to wait on anything. Like I said before, man, it's, it's all about instant gratification. I mean, for example, how, how many of y'all, <laughs> I was thinking about this this week. How, how many of y'all remember back in the olden days when, man, if you wanted to, if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to go to this place called Blockbuster. 
How many of y'all remember those ancient days? How many y'all? How many y'all in here? How many y'all in here younger than twenty? Younger than twenty? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Let me tell you a story, kids. Back in my day, we didn't have internet. Have Netflix. You had to go to this place called Blockbuster, or if you're really old, or lived out in the boonies, movie gallery, right? And you had to go to this place, and they gave you a little plastic card. Remember the little plastic laminated card? Anybody? You had a little plastic laminated Blockbuster card, and you go, and you felt so proud because you had that card. I'm here to rent a movie. But you had to go, you had to actually drive to the store. And then the store only had like three copies of the best movie ever made, right? So you had to hope it was in. And if it wasn't in, if you were like me, you would go over there to the movie drop-off and stand there for like an hour, praying that it would show up, right? Y'all, y'all check this out. We... <laughs> Think about the world, like if you have younger kids, think about the world that your children are going to live in based simply on how we've seen society change in the past 10 years. Y'all, it is all about instant gratification today. If I want to watch a movie today, man, I ain't got to go to no place called Movie Gallery or Blockbuster. You know what I do? I, I pull it up on, I download it. I can watch it on my phone right now. I, I was supposed to preach. I can, instead, I can be watching a movie right now. If I want to talk to a friend, I don't have to. Like, I, 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 read, I read a book one time about history that said a long time ago people had to write letters. Man, I got, I got this thing. I can talk to a friend on the other side of the planet now. How, how many of y'all, again, how many of y'all, let, you're younger than 20. Younger than 20. Raise your hands. Right. Okay, let me tell you another story, kids. Uh, back in my day, there was this thing called bookstores. You wanted a book, you had to go to a bookstore, right? We didn't have Amazon. I mean, think about it. Th- think about this, family. Like, like right now, if I want to read a book, I buy a digital version of that book and I put it on my phone. I don't wait, I have it now. If I want it now, I have it now. Instant gratification. In fact, family, here's how crazy the world is. If there is any piece of information that someone in the world has right now, I can most likely get it myself in a matter of seconds. And I can look brilliant. I can look absolutely brilliant. I can get a piece of information that for, that for all of human history until the past, you know, a couple hundred years, for all of human history was a mystery to people who were alive. I can get that piece of information right now on this. Siri, how far is the earth from the moon? a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Sunday, May 19th, 2019, is about 237,372 miles. 237,372 miles, and just like that, I'm brilliant. (laughs) Instant gratification. Instant gratification. And so watch this, family. Watch this. So what happens is this. Ready? Because I live in a world where I've pretty much been trained, I've pretty much been raised and groomed through instant gratification to be really, really impatient. What tends to happen is that I begin to try to drag and pull that impatience into my relationship with the God of the universe. 
ever done this? You ever been guilty of this? Like all the time maybe? Because I live in this world where if I want it now, I get it now, on demand, man. Because I live in that on-demand type of world, what happens is I begin to drag and pull that same impatience into my relationship with Jesus. And so consequently, my attitude towards Jesus and my disposition towards Jesus and even my prayers to Jesus sounds something like this. Hey, hey, hey God, I have a need. Meet it now. Hey God, I'm, I'm, I'm sick, I got a sickness, heal me now. Hey, hey God, I, I, I have a problem, I got this problem, fix it now. Hey God, I hate my job, give me a new job right now. Hey God, one of my kids is acting crazy, fix them now. Hey God, my marriage is a teetotal nightmare, make it better right now or I'm going to see the lawyer. Hey God, there's this crazy church member in our church who is driving me nuts. Give them a job transfer to Alaska right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Mama say, mama say, mama say. And listen, watch this. And what happens is this. If God doesn't do what I expect God to do and what I want God to do and what I think God should do in the time frame that I give him to do it? Guess what I begin to believe? God must not love me. God must not care. Maybe God's not even real. Or maybe He's just not powerful enough to do this thing in the first place. And what happens is this, family, watch this. I begin to judge God's faithfulness based on my timeline. That's, that's what I do, that's where that leads. I begin to judge the faithfulness of God based on my timeline that I have in my mind. But family, listen, that's a big mistake. Huge, man, huge, crazy, horrible mistake. Here's why, family, listen, please, listen. I'm begging you, please don't ever judge God's faithfulness based on your timeline. That, that is an unbelievably huge mistake, and here's why. Here's why that's so dangerous, family. Your timeline is always primarily focused on what you want at the time. Always. Your timeline for God to do that, here's what I want, and here's what I think you should... Your timeline is always primarily focused on what you want at that moment. But listen, listen. God's timeline is always primarily focused on what will bring the most glory to God. And I'm just telling you, family, based on personal experience, man, most of the time, what will bring the most glory to God in my timeline are two very different things. And incidentally, this actually brings us to the second point of this sermon, family, the second point of this sermon, which is this right here, number two, number two, family, there is a huge difference between God's will and God's timing. We have to get this, man. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, beloved, we have to understand there is the, there's a huge, massive difference between 
between the will of God and the timing of God, between, between God's will and God's timing. See, see, family, just read the Bible. God's will was clearly to lead his people into the promised land. He already promised it verbatim to Abraham, man. He already gave the promise. He already gave the promise like we already know it from Genesis chapter 12, y'all. God's promise was clearly already declared. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. But, but contrary to what his people would have preferred, God's timing was not gonna be two weeks or even two months or even two years. And I'm here to tell you right now, beloved, the Lord also has a very specific will for your life and the Lord also has a very specific will for my life, but I'm just telling you, his timing most likely will not be what you would prefer. This past Friday, I turned 41, y'all. 41. Thank you. Um, They're like, no one cares. Okay, just preach. Um, Turned 41 years old on Friday, and uh, you know what's weird? When When I was 15, I thought 41 was old. Now that I'm 41, I just think 15 is stupid. You know what I'm talking about? 41 is not old. I ain't old. I feel good, right? <clears throat> but but here's, here's the thing. One of the things that I've discovered about me uh, as, I've, as I've gotten older, as I continue to get older, um, aside from the long ear hair, which I'm trying to figure out, um, one of the things I've figured out about me is, it's weird, man, because I used to not be this way. I actually have started to enjoy taking the scenic route when I drive. Anybody else like this? Anybody? Anybody? Like, it's weird. I used to not be this way. I'm telling you, like, I used to be like, it's all, it's all about what's most efficient, what's going to expedite the process. Let's just go. Let's get from point A to point B, like, immediately. So, so like, for example, when... Uh, when, when my wife and I and our family, when we travel down to Macon, uh, which we do periodically to go see our extended family, uh, whenever we do this, I, I'm at the age now, man, I don't want to get on that abomination called I-75. Like, I want to stay as far as I possibly can from I-75 on drive. You know what I do? Here's what I do. Uh, here's what I do, man. I, I pop in some Almond Brothers band, and I jump on Highway 11, and I go Highway 11 down through Monroe, down through Social Circle, down through Monticello, down through Indian Springs, and I pass about 140 taxidermist shops and 4,000 cows, and I stop through churches and get some gizzards, and I enjoy that view. I take the scenic route, and my kids hate it, man. Which I think is one of the reasons I love it so much, because they hate it. They just hate it, right? They totally hate doing this. And, and, and think about it. Here's, here's why they hate it, man, but, because let's be honest. Here's what we know about the scenic route. The scenic route always takes longer. The scenic route really isn't ever the most efficient. I mean, I'm sure I burn probably more gas going the scenic route than, than, than doing, you know, the interstate. You know what, y'all think about it. The scenic route is typically far more difficult than the interstate because you got more turns and curves and hills and back roads and four-way stops and all that nonsense, right? But, but here's what I've come to discover, family. Here's what I've come to discover. Um, the scenic route is always, ultimately, far more beautiful in the end. 
I just appreciate it more because it's, it's, it's just more beautiful in the end. I mean, if you, have, you, have you ever noticed that God doesn't seem to be in the kind of hurry that we are often in? Anybody ever seen this? Anybody notice this about the Lord? Like, like anybody ever notice that the Lord doesn't seem to be real stressed out and in a hurry about, about pretty much anything? And, and here's the thing, this, this, isn't just, this isn't just from my subjective experience. I'm just saying, you know, it seems like from my subjective experience that God's not really in a hurry. This is just Bible. Like if you open up the Bible and start to read the Bible, just a cursory reading of the Bible family, you will see that that's absolutely true of the Lord. Like God doesn't seem to be in a hurry about anything. Think about it, y'all. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God says to Abraham, hey buddy, hey buddy, guess what? I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna give you a son. You're welcome. I'm gonna give you a son. Now, you know when God actually does it? 25 years later. Think on that, family. 25 years after the promise is given, God delivers on the promise. When Abraham is 100 years old. What? You keep reading, man. God gives Joseph a dream. He gives Joseph a dream that all of his brothers one day are gonna bow down to him, right? You know when that actually happens, man? You know what actually occurs? A bunch of years later, after Joseph has spent over a decade in a prison for a crime, he didn't even come close to committing. This crazy adulteress accuses him of attempted rape, and he like, he like ran the other way, man. He didn't do it at all. And he gets locked up in the clink for like over 10 years, day after day after day, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for what God promised God's not in a hurry. He's just leading that brother on the scenic route. And then God, remember God's promise, remember God's original promise to Abraham? I'm gonna make you into a great nation that is ultimately going to bless the entire world, the entire world. Family, think about it. You know when that actually begins to happen? We're reading it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later after God's people have spent over 400 years suffering in slavery under maniacal pharaohs. Like he's just not in a hurry. Scenic route. When you keep reading, remember David's story? Remember David's story? The Lord says to David, prophesies through to the prophet, uh, prophet Nathan, prophet Nathan uh, or, or prophet Samuel. He, he says, he says, you're going to be, you're going to be a uh, a king. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Y'all know when he did it. Anybody know how old David was whenever David received that prophecy? He was a teenager. You know how old David was when he became king? Anybody? Anybody? Bible drill. Anybody? Thirty. Over 10 years later, by the way, after he spent a bunch, a bunch of that time running away from an evil psycho king named Saul, and God just allowed it to happen. Took him the long way. Scenic route. <laughs> and then in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, remember the prophet Malachi promises, hey, God's gonna send a Messiah. God's gonna send a Savior. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be amazing. L- listen, you know when that actually happens? 400 years later after God has been silent for four 
centuries. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you've read much about church history, but y'all, the advancement of the gospel around the world hadn't exactly been, you know, a few minutes. Seen a crowd. The long way. Now, here's the deal, beloved. I don't know if you're anything like me, but here, here's the thing. If you are anything like me, then the question that you are now tempted to ask at this moment is this. Couldn't God have done all of those things a whole lot quicker? I mean, he's God, right? He's got some pretty good credentials, right? Spoke everything into existence, can do anything he wants. It's pretty good for your resume, right? So if he can do all that, like if that's true about the Lord, isn't it true that God could have made those things happen a lot quicker? I mean, why couldn't God, y'all, why couldn't God have given Abraham a son when he was 25? You ever thought of that? At least then he'd be able to chase him around, right? Change a diaper or three, right? Why couldn't God, if God, if God knew he was gonna give Abraham a son, why did he, why did he wait so long until he was 100? Why did he give him somebody at 25? And for that matter, why didn't God just protect Joseph from going to prison in the first place? He didn't commit a crime. Why didn't God just protect him from that junk? Why, why couldn't God have hit King Saul with a giant lightning bolt from heaven the, the millisecond he started the mess with David? Blam, you dead, new king. Problem solved. Promise fulfilled. Why do you do that? And for crying out loud, family, right here, listen, right here in Exodus chapter 13. I mean, if there was an army in the way of God's people on the way of the, of the Philistines, if there was a huge army there, why couldn't God have just struck them all with the bubonic plague and killed them all? Or you know what? Why couldn't he have opened up the ground and swallowed them up? He's gonna do that later. That's pretty cool. It's a good trick. Why couldn't he have wiped out that army instantaneously, allowing this to be just a easy two-week journey for his people that he loves? See, see, family, watch this. The question, listen, the question that we are actually in reality asking right here is this. Why is it that God is consistently leading his people the long way? That's the question we really want the answer to. Why is it that God is consistently leading his people who he loves, who are the object of his affection on the scenic route? When he can do anything he wants to do, man, why does he do that? Well, think about it for a moment, beloved. Let's think about this for a moment. In the long run, which one of these two options would have been the most beautiful and the most transformative and the most educational for God's people and the most God-glorifying? Which one of these two options? Option one, to be part of a huge family of two million people being led by God through the wilderness and seeing God literally provide for every single one of your needs every single day of your life and leading you by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire night and day, knowing all the while, knowing that you are the object of his love and protection. Or... 
Option two, going on some easy, quick, two-week journey, settling down in the suburbs of Jerusalem in a nice house with a two-donkey garage. Which one? Which one would be more transformative? Which one would be more God-glorifying? Which one would be more beautiful? Which one would be more educational for God's people? See, beloved, listen, just so you know, just so you know, man, the reason why our God loves to take his people the long way The reason why our God loves to take his people, to lead his people down the scenic route, the reason why God loves to do things in his timing rather than getting real stressed out about our timeline is because, family, is because on the scenic route, we learn to depend on God. That's why. It is on the scenic route where we learn to depend on God. And I'm going to tell you a secret, beloved. I'm going to tell you a secret. (laughs) Your God really, really digs it when you depend on Him. Because that's what you were created for. See, family, just you know, listen, one of, the, one of the things that the scripture is absolutely clear on is this. From, from, from Genesis chapter three all throughout the rest of the book, one of the things that the Bible's really clear on is this right here, family. Because I am a sinner, don't miss this. Because I am a sinner, because I, 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 I'm affected by the fall, the, the Genesis three fall, the Adam and Eve, like, like total fail fall, because of that, because I'm a sinner, family, the default setting of my heart all the time daily, every morning, every afternoon, and every night, the default setting of my heart is to always want to be independent from God. That's what my heart always naturally wants. That's what I always naturally want. Meaning, family, my flesh, my flesh doesn't want to depend on the Lord. It doesn't, man. I'm just telling you. I want, you know what my flesh wants? I want to save myself. I want to lead myself. I want to provide for myself. I want to make my own rules. I want to live the way that I want to live. I want to direct my own life. And when it's all said and done, guess what? I want all of the credit and I want all of the glory and I want all of the accolades for all of the things that I have achieved. That is what, that is what sin always does to the human heart. This is why my flesh does not naturally desire to pray. My flesh doesn't naturally desire to read God's word. My flesh doesn't naturally desire to confess my faults and my sins to brothers. My flesh doesn't naturally desire that. Why? Because every single day, the default setting of my heart is to seek independence from God. This is why we sing the hymn. And this is why we sing the hymn with those lyrics, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's the default setting of your heart. It's the default setting of my heart but then family listen but then Jesus our great God and Savior comes along and he steps into the picture you know what he does he declares that he is the one who is actually in control 
Jesus is the one who is actually in control. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who leads. Jesus is the one who provides. Jesus is the one who knows exactly what he's doing even when I don't have a fat clue as to what he is doing. Jesus is the pillar of fire. Jesus is the pillar of smoke leading me through the wilderness of this life and ultimately in the end, it will be Jesus who receives every ounce of the glory And I can respond to that truth in one of two ways. I can choose to resist it and I can fight against it and I can complain about it and I can try to ignore it, pretend like it's not true. Or, or beloved, I can surrender to Jesus. And I can choose to trust the one who's totally got this. And I can choose to trust the God who sees what I can't see, who understands what I don't understand. The God who is aware of what I am not aware of, the God who knows what I do not know and I can choose to trust him and I can choose to believe that every single thing he does he actually believe it or not he actually does it as an act of his love for me I wonder beloved do you feel like do you feel like God has you on the scenic route right now? You feel like the Lord is just kind of leading you the long way. Right? It's like that red line on the map. All over the place. It seems like the Lord's leading you everywhere except for that place that you've been praying for and that thing you've been hoping for and that thing that you've been longing for? Is there something going on in your life right now that's just totally breaking your heart? Beloved, I wonder, is there something you're walking through today that's just got you broken or anxious or worried? Or you know what, maybe, maybe there's something going on in your life right now that's maybe even got you doubting whether or not Jesus is even real. That's where you are. Can I ask you this question, beloved? If that's you, if that's you right now, can I ask you this question? What if the entire reason why the Lord is leading you down the scenic route right now is because he actually knows exactly what he's doing. And this might shock you. This might shock you. But what if, what if, if you knew today what the Lord knows today, 
you actually wouldn't change a single thing. Let's pray together, family. One of the things that I so love about our God is that he can identify with us. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and if you read the story of Jesus' life, beloved, if you read the story of Jesus' ministry, if you read the story, family, of Jesus' pain and persecution, betrayal, beating, crucifixion. One of the things that stands out to you is that our Lord himself took the scenic route. Our Lord himself went the long way. When he was, when he was up on that cross, Jesus could have come down instantly. Legions of angels by his side. feeding his enemies with a word. Granting sinners exactly what they deserve, damnation forever. But Jesus in his love, Jesus in his perfection, Jesus in his mercy, went the long way. That scenic route, the harder way. And he did it for you and he did it for me. The scriptures tell us even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil. For you, Yahweh, are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. My prayer for you today, beloved, is that the Lord would be your comfort. We're going to respond to the Lord now by singing. Singing is an act of trust. Singing is an act of belief. It really is. As we sing, it's a physical and even an audible display of our dependence upon the Lord. We choose to trust you, Lord. Additionally, we're going to have some folks in the back near the cross, a ministry team available to pray. With anyone in here who desires prayer, maybe you're in here this morning and you're walking through a season of your life where you feel like God's just got you going the long way, the scenic route, and it's hard. Would you be prayed for today? And for the rest of us, those who love Jesus, follow Jesus, only those of us who have turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as our great God and Savior. For us, family of God, saved by our faith in Jesus, these tables are prepared with the bread and the cup for us to remember communion, the Lord's Supper. And as we take that bread representing the body of Christ and dip it in the cup representing the blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins and eat it, would we remember our Jesus who took the scenic route the long way for us? Heavenly Father, I pray that we as your people while we wait, and sometimes we wait in seasons that are excruciatingly difficult and confusing, and we don't understand why you are leading us the way that you're leading us, would we know 
that you actually see what we can't see? And will we trust you every step of the way and believe that you, Jesus, are actually working in our waiting every single day of our lives? I pray all of it that the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we got a few questions, family, as we finish up. This is good. What are some best practices in combating Page. By the way, just so you know, one of the reasons this is my favorite service, we don't do this at the 9 and the 11, man. We don't do the question time. And this time to me is, is really cool. You may hate it, but I love it. Uh, what are some best practices in combating impatience? You could try paying, praying for patience. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, what you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to pray for patience, and then immediately someone's going to schedule an appointment with you somewhere in North Gwinnett County, and you're going to have to drive in that traffic. That's what's going to happen. Um, in all seriousness, though, no. I mean, you, how many of y'all have found that if you ever prayed for patience, God tends to give you opportunities to be patient, right? He doesn't magically go, mecha, a hi, mecha, honey, ho, patience. It's, uh, okay, I'm going to put somebody in your life who is going to, you know, you know, anybody know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Um, another way I'll encourage you to, pra- in a very practical way, combat impatience is, uh, wait for it, um, Silence and solitude, developing that as a spiritual discipline with the Lord. Uh, There's a great book by a a guy that I really dig uh, named Henry Nouwen, and his book is called The Way of the Heart. The book is all about the discipline of, of silence and solitude, and if you struggle with that, buy it. It's a short book, it's a short read, but it is deep and it is good. So I would encourage you, to do that I mean you're already you, people at Emmaus Church are already somewhat patient because you sit through hour-long sermons you get um what's the ne- what's the next one is it selfish of God to want everyone to depend on him listen it would be if his heart was not good if his heart was not good it would be thankfully his heart is really really good in fact it's perfectly good and so this is really a very benevolent thing that God could invite us to do is to depend on him in fact uh our our um um our our uh what do we call it we we call the beginning the benediction what do we call the ending oh wait no the end of the benediction yeah, that's what I said. Um, our benediction, it's sorry, man, it's a long day, and I've been preaching, and you've been making fun of me while I'm preaching. Um, the benediction in the other services has been uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 3, verses 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, right? That whole idea, it's, that's an invitation to do exactly that, right? Who else would we want God to call us to depend on? right? His heart would be really bad if he was like, hey, depend on Jeremy, right? That would be, I mean, or anybody, not just you, anybody, anybody, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. It would be if his heart was not good, but his heart is good. So yeah. Uh, and, then, and then finally, the Israelites had a pillar of smoke and fire to lead them to God's will. How can we be confident that we are following the path God has for us rather than the, quote, easy road we think is best in the absence of such clear evidence to follow? Got good news for you, man. We got something even better than the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, and he's called the Holy Spirit. Read John chapter 15, John chapter 16, John chapter 17. You know what John, you know what Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 16 says, hey, I'm going away and that's better for you. 
To which we're like, you're Jesus. How could that be better? And Jesus is like, no, it's better because I'm going away and I'm sending the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he even says there in that same text, he will guide you into all truth. He uses the same word. He will lead you into all truth. The same picture we have of the pillar of fire, pillar of smoke. It's even better. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God within us, leading us, guiding us, directing us. Now listen, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit also uh, can be grieved, right? If we sin, if we sin against God, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, frankly, if we begin to live in the flesh and if we, don't, if we don't feed our souls with the word of God, we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. So how do we fan into flame? the gift of the Holy Spirit? How do, we, how do we become more astute and sensitive to the Holy Spirit? The word of God, the word of God. So, so we spend time in God's word, we spend time growing in Christ, the Holy Spirit is fanned into flame and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And frankly, this is one of the reasons why we need the church. It's one of the reasons why we need community so much is because we're together and we're fanning, we're, we're doing what Hebrews says. We're, we're, we're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. That's what, the, that's what this is all about, man. The Holy Spirit fanned into flame. Um, so hopefully that makes some sense, beloved. Cool, awesome. Let me pray for us and we're, we're out. Jesus, I do thank you for the promise you have given to us that you will never ever leave us. You will never ever forsake us. You are with us always, even until the end of the age. Lord, thank you for your promise. And I pray that today as your word has been proclaimed, as your word has been taught, as the gospel has been exalted and expounded upon, I pray right now that we would be edified that demons of hell would be terrified, that God, you would be glorified. And I pray it all through the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Love you, family. See you next Sunday.